0: I'll be buried baby in-
1: You're watching My
2: Fellow Americans with your host, Spike Cohen. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Yes, thank you.
3: Thank you so much. Welcome. Yes. Keep clapping. Clap if you believe. Clap if you believe. How would we know if you believe If you don't clap. Welcome to my fellow Americans. I am literally Spike Cohen. This is a blessing, a mitzvah for you to be joining me, Spike Cohen, and my special guest that I'll be announcing very soon. Thank you again for joining me on this beautiful Wednesday night. I'm actually recording this on Monday night, so we're going to pretend that we know how the elections went, Um, but we don't know how the elections went because it's Monday. But thank you for joining us on Wednesday when you're seeing this. This is a muddied waters media production. So feel free to share this uh, and to comment because we'll still, even though this is pre-recorded, we'll be up in the comments section waiting for any comments or questions you have. Uh, The muddied admins are standing by. And uh, feel free to uh, share, to uh, visit us on Facebook, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitter, slash Periscope. We have the Periscope Twitter. I'm not sure how those work together, but we are doing both of those things. And on our website, muddiedwatersoffreedom.com. And what else? Oh, on SoundCloud. We're on SoundCloud. We're everywhere. We're everywhere. Just type in Muddied Waters Media, and you'll find us. We're everywhere. Um, the intro and outro music that I use for this and every episode of My Fellow Americans is from the incredibly talented Joe Davi, Mr. Joe Davi, J-O-D-A-V-I. Uh, you can find him on Facebook. I believe you can find him on Instagram. He's on Bandcamp dot com the Bandcamp joe davi Bandcamp and you can go on there buy all of his music i think it'll cost you like less than 10 bucks to buy all of his music go in there buy all of the man's music it is amazing music thank you so much mr joe davi and of course i'd like to take a special moment to thank my new sponsor le blue ultra pure water i was drinking kroger water but i ran out and ended up getting le blue instead of kroger and this is actually very good so, L'Chaim. Shout out to Tamron Turks' his mom and him, Guys, my guest tonight, I don't know if you know someone in your life who pretty much has all the same political opinions you do and to the point where it's kind of spooky at times and they'll say stuff and you'll go, oh, wow, I guess that's how I think of it too. And, uh, or then you'll say something and they say that they, that they think the same thing. Uh, well, this is, my, uh, this is my version of that. He is the owner of Liberate Rally. And uh, he is uh, just an awesome guy, and I'm so excited to have him on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to my to my fellow Americans, the beautiful and talented my political doppelganger, Jason Romano. Jason, thank you so much for joining my fellow Americans.
1: Thank you, Spike. It's it's great being here, and you know, I I just would like to say I am literally talking to Spike Cohen.
3: Yeah, you're. Li- uh, this is uh, literally an actual literal conversation with Spike Cohen. I,
1: I'm awesome. really excited about it. Uh, I, I would. Say though you refer to me as your doppelganger. I don't know whether you're familiar with you know the specifics of what a doppelganger is, but a doppelganger is not just a twin, it's actually an evil twin. So I don't know how to take you referring to me as your evil twin. Oh,
3: I didn't think of that. It's okay. I mean, you, Do you know You want I, me to be the evil twin? No, I mean if we had to choose,
1: I definitely want to be evil. So Okay, well then see, I'm okay with that. Sure just trying to make sure you're aware of, you know, the the meaning and the definitions that. you. Yeah,
3: I, I am. I wasn't in that moment. I wasn't remembering the evil part. I I think. So if you're okay with being evil, then you can just remain my doppelganger. I'm okay with that. You were my you were the evil. You were literally evil Spike Cohen. Yeah, I am
1: okay, the evil spite Cohen. I'm fine with that. Thank you.
3: <laughs> so thank you for joining. Um I uh whenever I have a new guest on, one of the things I ask cuz you're you're as I said we we have the same political opinions. You you're an anarcho-capitalist like me. Um, where, how would you say that you got into that? I mean, assuming that you haven't been an ANCAP your entire life, how would you say that you, you know, came about that, uh, your, your current beliefs? Yeah. Is it sort of a, an evolution or was there this aha movement or, you know, a moment or how, how did that happen?
1: Well, I think it might be able to be divided into sort of a little bit from column A and a little bit from column B. You are correct. I did not come out of the womb as an anarcho-capitalist. That definitely did not happen. Um, So what it comes down to is back when I was in high school was sort of when I started to get into politics and, you know, thinking about politics and that sort of stuff. And I was pretty much a what you would refer to nowadays as like a neoconservative Republican. Um, Right. I I don't really don't know how exactly I got into that. I just sort of had general, general feelings and ideas about what the two political parties meant. And I Mm -hmm. sort of had a general idea that, well, the Democrats, they're big on social programs and the Republicans, they're pro business. So I kind of thought between the two, I didn't really have a deep understanding of anything. So I just thought, well, you know, business is good. I guess that's, that's where I need to be. Right. Um, so that's how I kind of got into it. And I, I sort of leaned towards the Republicans uh, starting in high school. And then I got further enmeshed into it because that I, I was trying to, I had questions that I wanted answered. I wanted to understand things a little bit better. So I started reading books <clears throat> And I subscribed to National Review for almost a decade. Like most of the 90s, I had a subscription to National Review. Uh, at other times, I had subscriptions to the Conservative Chronicle and the American Spectator. Which were... <laughs> this sounds eerily
3: similar to yeah. it, my experience.
1: Yeah. So uh, I subscribed to those National Review for like eight Eight to nine years, I had a subscription. The Conservative Chronicle and the American Spectator were much more shorter term things. Mm -hmm. uh, But I would still pick them up every once in a while in the store, pick them up and and read them. Uh, I also read a number of books. Um, I read both of Robert Bork's books. uh,
3: You were more of a neocon than I was. Wow. I don't know. Maybe I was.
1: Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I read both of his books. I'm trying to think of some other stuff I may have read. I can't as far as, but Oh, I owned uh, both of Rush Limbaugh's books. Uh, I read those. Uh, when we, in high school, we had powder puff shirts. I don't know if you guys had a powder puff uh, football game, the uh, senior girls and the junior girls would play. Uh, oh uh, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, They would play a football game and everybody in those classes could buy shirts and you could get a uh, eight, eight letters put on the back of your shirt. So for my senior powder puff shirt, I had Ditto head put on the back of it. D I T O H E A D. Wow. So I'm, so you know what that means. Ditto. Yeah.
3: Yeah. The excellent. Yeah. The, the Rush Limbaugh. Ditto okay. heads, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: So just so that people, maybe somebody listening doesn't know, uh, People that listen to Rush Limbaugh's show are referred to as Ditto Heads. Right, right, right. So I was so heavy into that stuff. I actually had that put on my senior uh, – on the back of my senior powder puff shirt. And so for years, I was enmeshed in that, and I read National, National Review just religiously. Every two weeks, it would arrive, and I would read it virtually cover to cover. But – the big thing was it introduced me to something. I read an article in national national review, some somewhere along the way, it was an article written by Mark Skosen. And he was, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's, yeah, I don't think I have actually. I don't think I have. Uh, he's an economist uh, in the Austrian tradition. And he wrote an article in national review and he was talking about the Austrian economists and, um, the thing that I really remember was he was talking about the Great Depression and he was talking about how uh, von Mises had sort of his analysis during the 20s was spot on as far as you know the inflation of the Federal Reserve was going to lead to a crash and it was going to be really bad and right, right. all this awful stuff was going to happen. And it made a big impression on me because I thought, wow, this guy. Because I, I up until then, I had never really heard any sort of any sort of reasoning for why the Great Depression happened. I mean, you know, I, I, this was sometime in, I think I, it was sometime in college I read this article and I was actually an economics major. And a lot of the stuff is just sort of like, well, it just kind of happened, you know, that Great Depression.
3: It just, or they'll blame it on, you know, corporate greed or some, you know,
1: yeah some, some
3: pay on to, uh, uh, to, you know, to left-wing thought that, you know, well, it was right. the, too much individualism is what caused it.
1: Yeah, and the the whole greed thing makes makes no sense for anything course, because, I mean, it's like, uh, I can't remember who said this. I think it was Bob Murphy on the uh, one of the Contra Crudeman things. He said, well, you know, blaming a depression or a recession on greed is like blaming a plane crash on gravity. You know, gravity is just, it's just there.
3: It just is, it, right. It,
1: it, it's explain why the plane went down, you know. Right. And it's the same thing if you're going to say, well, people, greed is just an innate fact of human nature people are you know can be people have greed inside of them blaming
3: perceived self-interest right
1: right it's, it's just something that's always there so blaming a recession on it well did they have a sudden influx of greed and if they did then why did that happen so anyway digressing a little bit getting back onto the point. Uh, so I read this article and he mentioned uh, the two guys he mentioned were von Mises, obviously because he is the big granddaddy of Austrian economics and uh, Murray Rothbard was the other main one. He may have mentioned some other guys too, but right. um, those are the two that stuck out. So I thought to myself, okay, well I need to read some of this. I need to read these guys at some point.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I sort of, researched them a little bit and figured out okay well, well what are their big books what are their main things and I would go to the economics section uh, at NC State where I went to school and I would I would look at the books to see if they were there but I didn't really have time to read them and uh, so this drug out for years and then I put on my birthday and Christmas lists uh, human action. And man, economy, and state. Yep. And I got those as gifts. And then sometime around 1998, 1999, I finally had time to to read them. I don't remember what happened. I, I think I read them actually at work. Um, believe it or not, I was in a job where I was uh, I was in the front lobby, um, kind of filling in for a receptionist. This was what I kind of did. Um, during summers and between semesters and such, right. so I had a lot of time to just sit there and read. And I finally read those books. And um, when I read *Man, Economy, and State*, one of the things that kind of stuck out—if you read these these books—and oh, I'd also read some stuff by Thomas Sowell, um, who has some interesting stuff. But when he does. You- he's
3: not—he's not an AnCap, but he definitely—he's oh. definitely heavily libertarian and and he's a minarchist, But he has some he, he has some real jewels that he drops uh, quite a bit.
1: No, he definitely has some interesting material. Uh, but the, the thing that you notice when you read these books from these uh, even libertarian conservatives that I was reading, like Thomas Sowell and other people of that nature, which I've been reading for years, they'll talk about economics and they'll explain, you know, political economy. But they always have this caveat, this sort of proviso, they have this proviso where they're talking about the government. Right, the right, whole, right. And they'll say, well, what the government needs to do is provide the legal and political framework within which the right. market can function.
3: Yep.
1: So I've been reading all this stuff for years and years and years, and it, it was like clockwork. You read this stuff, it's like, oh, no, we love the free market. We love free market capitalism and all this, this wonderful stuff. But, but what the well, government yep. does yep.
0: Is yep. provide
1: yep. the po- legal and political framework for allowing it to, to function and flourish. Now, when I read Rothbard's book, I went into it and I kept waiting for that moment in the book, you know, where he drops the, well, you know, the, uh, yeah, the free market is wonderful. But with the gov- the role of the government is to right, provide right. the legal and political framework within which it can, it can prosper and flourish. And I read that book and it's a, like a 900-page book all 900 pages I'm waiting for that shoe to drop.
3: <laughs> the last all the way to the I, end. Any minute. Yeah. You
1: know. Yeah, I'm like is he going to do it on the last page? I mean, is it, is it chapter is it chapter 25 that he right, did? right, right, right. So I read this entire book and it never happens. It never happens and I'm thinking, okay. I, I expected that to happen. It did not happen. What's what is up with this guy right here? There there's something going on with him. I need to figure that out.
3: Right, so right. I did a
1: little bit more research, and I I found out that man, economy, and state had actually been um, truncated somewhat uh, because there was some stuff that was too radical, and that became a second book called Power and Market. Yep. So immediately, I realized, okay, there's something going on here. He takes this stuff. This free market stuff to a whole different level right I'll understand exactly how he got there I don't I don't really know but I need to find out so another another book that I found out about was uh, his book called the Ethics of Liberty I don't know if you've heard of that book
3: I haven't read it but I've heard of it okay so
1: in that book what what he does is he, he takes the property rights ethic, And he applies it to everything. And I got this book because I figured, okay, this looks like it's sort of the book that lays out his framework for what he come, what he builds upon. So I read it and I remember, so up until then I'd had kind of this slow drift towards libertarianism. Right. And I didn't really kind of realize where I was going and then I read the Ethics of Liberty, and it's pretty much he talks. He, he builds upon the, you know, self ownership, homesteading, and private property rights. Right, and he just applies it and just builds and applies it, and he reaches the he, he reaches the point where he says, and so if you accept all these things, then you have to reject the government,
3: right? Because right. The government, the government
1: violates this stuff.
3: Yep. So if you It's the greatest Violator of all these things It, is, it yep. surely is yep. I mean yep. uh,
1: Depeche Mode would be very proud of them When you think about it
3: um, <laughs>
1: So I read this book And it was that book that I had done this slow Sort of slow movement But when I read that book It was just like a hammer Landed on top of me And it was just I thought oh my god this is this is it. This is I understand now. I thought I agree with this. I agree with these principles, with this foundation. This you know I believe in self ownership, homesteading, and uh, private property rights, and you know voluntarism. That all this stuff, it, voluntary exchange is the way to go. Right. And then I was caught in the inescapable logic of well, the government necessarily. Just to exist has to violate these things, and I realized. Well, we, I guess, yeah.
3: No, it's true. Which is true. It, it, in order to yeah. exist, it necessarily has to violate these things. Right. But
1: it that's... needs to be. It needs to be a monopolist, is what it is. It yeah. has to be a monopolist and uh, a monopolist in the non-trivial sense of uh, the single, single seller. I always refer to that as uh, monopoly in the trivial sense because technically. It's, kind, it's a definition of monopoly, but it's a, it's a meaningless definition of monopoly because it, it ends up defining everybody as a monopolist because uh, just immediately you can understand that you have a monopoly on your labor. So nobody can sell your labor other than you.
3: Right. Um,
1: so immediately everybody's a monopolist. So a definition that defines everybody as something doesn't really, it's it's not very explanatory. So. When I when I use the word monopolist, I mean uh, an intervention into the free market whereby uh, competitors are prevented
3: from entering.
1: Right, so, it's
3: it's coercion to prevent competition. Right. That's how I define monopoly. Because, like you said, there's so many different definitions of monopoly and, and monopolism. And 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 like you said, the most pure definition of it would ultimately we're all trying to centralize to our own monopoly. But that's not. Mm-hmm. We're not necessarily coercing someone else to to not compete with us in that in that respect. So that's that's how I look at it. My my whole thing with this is that, and what really changed things around for me, you know, all of my belief systems were based around the concept of indi- individualism. Even when I was, mm-hmm. uh, not so much when I when I was a neocon, I was very much like we have to do this for the good of America, and like you know, yeah. I, I wasn't yeah. even really a conservative. <laughs> Once I had really shifted away from the kind of, uh, 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 you know, standard issue Republicanism, Republican Party Republicanism, and into more of conservative thought, it was always from the basis of the individual being the most important minority, um, and you know, the the whole individualist concept, but I was always held back by the idea that we needed government, because we just, we did, we needed government, because without government... but nothing works with that government, Spike. Yeah, we just we did what you know, and, and I, I never even got into you know the roads or whatever. I knew we didn't need roads, but my biggest thing was, and the last shoe for to, to drop, the last spook I had to let go of to become a, a, an AnCap or even a hardcore libertarian was the idea that we have to be protected from people outside of the U.S. from coming in. Um, that a most people that are coming in are coming in for the same reason we're already here uh for potentially right. beneficial economic reasons that we can mutually benefit from or choose not to associate with them um and that for those who are truly coming in um to do us harm or to do any of us harm a the government's not really doing anything to prevent that if anything they keep it going to keep us scared and b yeah. that that need that service for protection or or any other service is better provided in, by competing providers than by a violent monopoly that robs all of us and you know threatens to cage any of us that don't comply. The idea that we're going to get good services from a, from an organization like that compared to competing providers who are going to trip over themselves, trip over each other to provide the best service so that they get our money, um, that they get our, our business, I think that's foolish to think that. That was the last shoe to drop for me. But for a long time, my even looking back at my old social media posts and things that I said to people I was held back less so by a philosophical belief that we need a government and more so by other people are going to think I'm insane by for saying this and um <laughs> you know I don't know about you but I sort of reached a point where I didn't care anymore that the, in my mind tell, continuing to pretend that government was a necessary evil was less uh, uh, of a tenable position than just saying what I believed and and knowing that some people are going to be like you're crazy and I can go okay why am I crazy defend your position I've made my assertion now you know rebut it and I, I've been much happier the past two years as a result of that but I've been an ancap probably since like 2013 or 2014 looking back at old um, whether I was acknowledging that or not I, I haven't wanted government to exist in any capacity for at least four or five years
1: So no. Well, I've been an AnCap since I don't I can't put an exact date on it, but it was late 2000, early 2001. Um, so, I've I've been in this for a while.
3: <laughs> so, you were an AnCap during like 9/11 and all of that stuff. That must have been frustrating.
1: Oh, wait, that was very <laughs> mildly. Uh, so, that was like right after I sort of converted to AnCapism and. I was still in the arguing with everybody phase on on social media. Mm. Uh, so there were people I, – I, there was a particular forum I'm, that I'm still a part of uh, that I would post a lot to. And I'd been you know arguing with these people over this sort of stuff. And then 9-11 happens, and immediately I get called out.
3: You, know, <laughs> you
1: did that. No, well, not that I did it, but just like – see, doesn't this prove we need the government, Jason? Am right, right, right. No, right. no. D- do you know? No, D- this, this is government is why this happened.
3: Exactly, exactly. Exactly
1: why this happened. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, so, like I said, it, it's I've been in this for a while. I, I don't argue nearly as much as you do anymore because I see you <laughs> arguing all the time. I kind of went through that phase for the first few years because, you know, you make that conversion and you just kind of think to yourself, I got to tell everybody.
3: I have to tell right? everyone exactly.
1: Everyone has to know about this. Uh, so I'm like online arguing about everybody. No, you need to <laughs> understand why you're wrong. This is why you're wrong. And it doesn't work.
3: It doesn't work. It doesn't
1: work. It, doesn't work. it does not work.
3: Well, I, I, sh- I, I, I want it, to, it, it almost never works. I will say that a big part of what made me shift from having these beliefs, but just kind of toning them back and actually, you know, putting my beliefs out there was seeing other people arguing what I believed and saying, Oh, okay. Well, if they, if they believe that, then, 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 if they can say that, then I'm going to say that too. And I think that's more who I'm talking to when I'm arguing a, I think there's some people out there that they just need that one little flick of the switch where they go, oh, you know what, I'm yeah. wrong. Because there was some of that for me too. But B, it's mostly speaking to people who have these thoughts, maybe haven't fully congealed them into a into a ideology, but just recognize that what they're being told is wrong, but aren't hearing anyone say it. They'll hear someone say government's wrong, so we need to follow the Constitution. Or, oh, yeah. you know... That's wonderful. We, we need to... We need to go back to the Bill of Rights, and because uh, we aren't right now, um, we need to you know have a, a a smaller government and and so they think that that's what's radical, and so by kind of exposing them to the idea that you know you this actually isn't the case, um, or for people who truly don't believe that government is necessary, but just think that they're alone out there, that's more who I'm speaking to, but yes, I argue a lot, mostly with conservatives, occasionally with progressives I don't usually argue much with progressives because we aren't even using the same language with conservatives we're using the same language we're talking about property and individualism and things like that with progressives i find and it may, you can tell me if you found it differently progressives are it's a lot more emotions based and a lot more like concepts like fairness and um equality and and this sort of um yeah i, I see I, I don't know how to describe it but
1: no, I understand. Uh, I understand what you're saying. Uh, the The problem with the conservatives, well, one of them, they talk a lot about the free market, but their concep- their conception, and I can under I understand this better because I came from that.
3: Right. Exactly. Their
1: conception of what the free market is is very different than what I ended up you know, understanding that it actually is. Right. Like for example, I remember when I was deep in the throes of uh, neoconservatism, I thought that the clean, I think it was the clean water act or something uh, was like a really great thing because there was something in it that said uh, companies could have pollution rights. You know, the government would divvy out these pollution rights and, Companies could buy and sell these pollution rights, and they could pollute up to whatever the number of pollution rights they had. That's what they could... Right. Do.
3: Their pollution quota, yeah.
1: Correct. But they could be bought and sold on a market. So deep when I was deep in the throes of these things, uh, you know, conservatism, I thought to myself, wow, this is great. This is the free market at work. The free market can solve the problem of, uh, of pollution. Of pollution. It, and then, then I realized, oh, God, that wasn't a free market at all. That was, you know, the, the government said the free market would be an enforcement of property rights, which would be if you pollute, then you are uh, subject to actionable prosecution uh, right. by whoever you. You know, whoever's property you pollute. Right, right, right. That's how that should be handled. This whole the government saying, "Oh, okay, well, here's how much pollution everybody can do."
3: You're allowed to do exactly. Yeah, Yeah,
1: you're allowed to do this, but you can buy and sell this stuff amongst yourself. That's not how it works. No. And and the the interesting thing is, um, I read in something uh, one of Rothbard's books, and I can't remember which one it was, but he was talking about how originally what happened was uh, like back in the 19th century when industrialization in the United States started, uh, the courts were actually enforcing property rights in the manner that I just told you where companies were being held accountable and like people would say, Oh, well, this company polluted my property and they would bring them to court and they would get restitution. But then, but then, you know, companies don't like that sort of thing. right.
3: Business interests don't like that. Right. right?
1: They, they don't like that. So they got the, the federal government involved to put the kibosh on it. And right. yep. they traded, they traded the much closer to free market solution. They kicked that to the curb because God knows they don't like being held accountable No, of uh, course. and succumb to, well, we'll just have the, the government. will just start regulating it, which is a great deal for them because they can, um, they can influence the government to regulate and keep their competitor, keep, you know, competitors from popping up and um, use it as a bludgeon against, uh, against other competitors.
3: Exactly. And- exactly. And I, I tried telling, especially people on the left that when they're like, you just want uh, corporations to be able to pollute as much as they want. And I'll say, you mean like they do now? Like, I mean, that that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the reality of what we live in right now is that, you know, they're, they are polluting as much as they want and they they put, you know, there's this sort of pipeline going both ways of lobbyists, you know, uh, that work in government for, you know, various industries um, and then politicians that used to be lobbyists and lobbyists that used to be politicians. And there's this sort of this, you know, um, you know, endless chain of, of people going in and out in a in a truly free market world. You wouldn't see the level of pollution that you do now because there would be immediate consequences for the imposition on someone's private property that, that, you know, we see happen, you know, and and then, you know, we see it happen and anyone that protested is, is, you know, stopped by the police. That's not free market. And, and because the majority of people that talk free market think that that's the free market, that's what people, you know, they just think no government would mean even more of that, but no, it's government that even allows that in the first place.
1: Right. Uh, Well, if you really want to make a progressive's head explode with respect to the pollution question, I mean like really make their head explode, here's what you ask them. Here's what you point out. You say, so you're anti-pollution. You don't like pollution. Right. Oh, right, right. So obviously you're going to say yes. I mean, I'm I'm not (laughs) pro-pollution. No no one likes
3: pollution, right. Nobody likes
1: pollution. I don't like pollution. The question is how do we deal with it? But if you want to make their head explode, uh, point out, to them so you realize that public roads are the cause of massive pollution right you do understand that because that's a subsidy to uh automobile owners yep. and that means that the cost of the roads is externalized onto taxpayers which means the taxpayers pay for it but use of it is ostensibly free so right, right right so nobody has an incentive to really conserve how they use the roads so they use them more. <laughs> so that mean, that just promotes uh, automobile ownership. And so there's like way more automobiles on the road and they're being used more often, which puts more car- carbon uh, dioxide into the air through uh, automobile emissions. Um, so if you really want to make their head explode, that that's one way to do it. Just give them that double whammy of uh, how the public roads are screwing over the in uh, the the environment. Um, so when they
3: out. when they pull out more roads, uh, you can say, "Oh, well, you mean you mean the main source of pollution? I don't want that either. Yeah, I hate roads. That's why I hate roads. You know, for crying out loud, Dominoes is is like fixing roads. Oh, I know. I I, I <laughs> please, uh, uh, Um, oh, what's it called? Um, I'm a very wholesome person, so I don't remember what it's called. Uh, the porn <laughs> website. Um, Pornhub. Yes, Pornhub i You, if would, know, you would know that, of course. I would, I would know. Yeah, I, if that <laughs> wasn't the one, I, I got more. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, is a as a porn hub or Um. They were. Uh. What was it? Uh. uh there was after one of the main big snowstorms, they were shoveling snow in like Massachusetts or like in like major neighborhoods, major cities. Um. Obviously to promote their services, but they were saying like, "Hey, look, we'll plow your road." before you know we'll snowplow your road before the people that you've already paid to do it and we'll give you free porn so you know that's and 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 i liked part of domino's whole spiel with why they were fixing potholes that's what jason's talking about part of their spiel was that the reason they're fixing potholes is because we want to make sure that we get your your pizza to you hot and ready and these potholes are making it harder for us to do that and so we at domino's are giving back because then you get your hot and ready pizza yes it's self-promotion but it's them doing for essentially for free um, because you don't have to buy pizza from Domino's. They are serving the common good because it serves their own self-interest both in making the road better for their drivers and in all that promotion and advertising they get from having Domino's branded pothole, uh, 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 covered potholes all over the road. I just think it's genius. And you look at that, you look at Uber, you look at any of these ostensibly free market you know as free as is allowed in 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 our mixed economy these solutions that are so much better than government and at no point is someone forced under penalty of law to comply it's just we're going to do this because it suits our interest and it suits your interest and we're both benefiting from it from to to, to whatever degree so yeah i mean when when people bring up roads i mean i i say oh you mean like how Domino's is now paving the roads
1: yeah um and there's another there's another thing that I didn't understand regarding you know free market capitalism when I was a conservative, uh, and a lot of people don't seem it doesn't really sink in with a lot of people I don't think particularly progressives on the left, um, but also conservatives because they kind of have this mindset that pro free market pro capitalism means uh, pro big business and anything that uh, promotes the profits of big business but the thing that the thing that a lot of these people don't seem to grasp is that uh, just because you can make a profit doesn't mean that all free market capitalistic activity is profit seeking right like charity there's nothing contradictory between free market capitalism and charity no at all at all and th- if you look through history, you see that there are a lot of organizations that uh, engaged in that sort of thing to handle these supposed public goods problems that couldn't be handled. You can't handle them, you know, unless you, you know, unless the government takes over. Unless the government gets
3: involved and still doesn't handle it ever.
1: And this is this is one of those areas, actually, where I think that um, you can build bridges with the anarchist left uh because a lot of the research that has been done into these organizations like mutual aid societies you've probably heard of those oh yeah,
3: yeah 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 mutual
1: aid societies are pretty much um groups of people that would come together and what they would do is like pool their resources together for the purpose of like say um for health problems, like if somebody had a catastrophic uh health emergency that required something expensive, uh, to, to, to like fix whatever was wrong with them, they could dip into this pool of resources, right? But it was voluntarily, voluntarily agreed to. But this wasn't run for profit, this was sort of people putting their stuff together and coming up with a solution. It wasn't like a profit. If, if
3: they chose to. It, it was, uh, that was, I was,
1: well, that's always the thing. <laughs>
3: if they, they didn't have to do this. It just right. meant it wasn't available to them if they needed it. It was sort of a an early uh, and and in many ways better version of insurance because it was People choosing voluntarily to pool their resources together. And there was also because it was voluntary and because they knew there was a finite amount of of resources, there was accountability there. The other members weren't going to let someone just be a a louch and just live off of everyone else because you were you that was money that could be used for someone that actually needed it. So,
1: right. You can't. When you're doing all this stuff voluntarily, you can't externalize costs onto exactly.
3: participants.
0: Right. And
1: that really comes down to a lot of the problems. Uh, like, I, I almost said all of the problems. I mean, that's possible, but um could be all the problems relating to the government is externalization of costs yeah but that's that's a lot of them so someone else is
3: paying for it yeah
1: right someone else is paying for it but when these things arise naturally and they did and this again i i really think that this is an area of common ground that you can build with the left uh even and i i said the anarcho left but they don't necessarily need to be anarchists you just your regular progressive person they're typically the, the reason why they support these programs is they have the the very natural and I, I think it's a good natural empathetic feeling that they have for their fellow man that they want to help people right exactly yeah for for 90, 90 plus percent of them i'm not talking about the sociopaths that are running the government um i'm not talking about them i mean your rank and file joe on the street that happens to lean left they're motivated In my experience, they're motivated by a desire to help their fellow man and they have genuine empathy and compassion for somebody who maybe they lose their job and they need some money to tide them over till they get a new job. Exactly. So
3: the bridge... Or or they can't afford their health coverage, you know, which which is a difficult one because that's a tough one to talk to about with people because that's something you can't really plan out. I had no plan for MS. I thankfully was insured and have remained insured and and had the financial ability to to adjust that reality. But no one says, well, if I get cancer or MS or whatever, you know, and if you're already struggling to make ends meet, that's a that's a a whammy because you may not be able to work. Uh, Plus, you need all this extra money to deal with the, the treatment of that. We know that government makes that whole scenario worse. But it's hard to explain that. Like you said, Joe Schmo on the street. That they're like, but what happens if they lose everything you're saying to cut off their Medicaid, their right. Ob- Obamacare, subsidized insurance, their whatever. What do you say to them? And, it, it, you know, you have to then get into a whole conversation about economics and it's a tough one.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And the the bypass that I I think can be done is that bridge where you, you, you talk to the, you know, to say a progressive that's concerned about these things and want to be able to help people and say, look. You're focusing on the government solution. What I'm trying to offer here is something better than the government solution.
3: Right, right. Because nobody
1: likes the government solution. They're always trying to change it. The and, left is always trying to change it, and the right is always trying to change it. Nobody yeah, likes it. No
3: one is happy without governments operating.
1: Really, nobody thinks Social Security. I mean, very, very few people think that you know Social Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid are. are like wonderful, great programs. They're always wanting to improve them, and you know, fix the issues with it. But what I think we should offer to to the left uh, to try to build those bridges, because reaching out to the left is it's kind of something that I I really try to, to, to figure out because I I have trouble relating to them in some sense. I,
3: no, I'm 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 where you are. I mean, I I. My, I
1: Go ahead. I don't know how to talk to them. It's it's Sometimes I don't know how to talk to them is what it comes down to. Um, so what I've sort of settled on is I think the way I'm going to go about it is just sort of say, yeah, I agree that all of these programs that you like should exist. I just don't think the government should do them. Right. And historically there are examples of people not Associated with the government doing them, and it was better, right? Like those mutual aid societies, right, 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 worked better, and they were, you know, you look at how much um, how much money is spent on healthcare over time; it just keeps going up, and that's because it's well, you know, the government is so involved with it, and well,
3: compared know, to something like, I, I, there's a chart from the, I think, American enterprise institute or something like that it's a conservative group but they're what they put out was true it's a chart showing since 1985 or 95 or some arbitrary year they picked but since it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah so yeah and that's the thing it could have gone back to 1834 it doesn't matter since whatever year they picked as the baseline it showed a bunch of different uh services and products um and yeah. how they had gone up or down relative to the rate of inflation and all of the things that had gone down or remained roughly the same uh, in, value, in cost um, as, again, related to inflation were all things that, I mean, everything is regulated, everything's taxed, everything's subsidized. But they were less regulated, taxed, and subsidized than other things. So it was things like consumer electronics, uh, furniture, right. um, pet care. Um, uh, 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 I I wish I had the chart in front of me, but it was it was a few different things, and then all of this stuff, and then in the middle was stuff that's somewhat, you know, more heavily regulated, but not quite as bad, like uh, housing and food and things like that. But then the stuff that had skyrocketed, that had just gone completely out of control, to where they had once not even been major financial concerns for people, and now were the major financial concerns for people. Things like uh, higher education, um, yes. health care, um, um, uh, 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 school books was the highest one, uh, t- oh, yeah. school textbooks, textbooks it's it's had crazy. gone up like tenfold, in, even after adjusting for inflation had gone up that much. And those are all the things that are the most heavily subsidized, regulated, and mandated. Uh, oh, any uh, any kind of insurance was through the roof. Um Great. They were all things, and basically, it came down to the more heavily government is involved in something, the worse the outcome is going to be in terms of cost, and and especially cost compared to value. When you compare that to, I mean, I hope to God we never have anyone talking about you know uh, universal phone plans where everyone gets a smartphone, oh, you know, and also making sure no one can get the top smartphones because that would be phone inequality or whatever. I mean, I, I hate to say it that someone might get the idea to do this, but the phones will it's suck.
1: That, ever yeah, exactly. Yeah
3: don't, yeah, don't put that, don't speak that out there. But, you know, to see that kind of data and still continue to want government, but that's, I think most people are operating out of a sense of fear. You were talking about with the left. In general, when people say, well, what about XYZ? I've come to now say, you mean the thing that's happening despite government existing and doing, telling you for however many decades, centuries that, they're going to fix that and it just keeps getting worse. Would you like to talk about an actual solution to that? Or would you like to tell me why you think government should still be trusted to do the thing they've never actually done?
1: So, Yeah. And when you have an organization like the government that uh, they can tax the resources away and they're the ones in control. Right. Uh, and if you want to take this all the way up to the highest philosophical level uh, where they have the monopoly over the, Uh, final authority on the definition and enforcement of property rights uh they will define and enforce property rights to their own benefit that's just a natural self-interest that's just going to happen what they're going to do is they're going to uh use it as a way to steal resources from other people and shove it into into their pockets and they're not going to their concern is not going to be to do it efficiently they're going to try to um uh, do it for their own benefit,
3: right? Exactly, exactly.
1: There was one other thing uh, you mentioned. Uh, we were talking about healthcare earlier, and there was something I wanted to point out uh, before I forget, because I, I will forget.
3: Yeah, yeah go ahead.
1: It, it's kind of interesting. Um, so you're familiar, you know Ludwig von Mises, and mm-hmm. I don't know how much of this stuff you have read, but one of the things he said was, um, "There's no shortage of problems in the world." That's just, we live in an imperfect world. So there's always problems that need need a solution. So the government always has an excuse to step in and fix something. But what happens is when they try to, quote unquote, fix something, they create another problem uh, that demands being fixed. Right, right. So where I'm going with this is um, one of the problems that people will bring up relating to healthcare is that health insurance is typically in the overwhelming number of cases um, tied to your job. So if you lose your job you don't have it. Right. But right. but the, the the thing is the market has progressed such that that's just how it is. Right. Just tied to your your occupation. Now do you do you know why that is? Because I can tell you why it is.
3: I do, but but tell our viewers, Jason. Tell our viewers why it is. Okay, so it's
1: because back in World War II, yep. the government was spending out the wazoo and inflating out the wazoo to pay for the war effort. Uh, they were afraid of uh, prices domestically going ballistic, which... <laughs> a very valid concern, you know, considering what they were doing. I mean, that's the natural outcome. So what they did was they put price controls into, into effect. Now uh, somebody's wage and salary is a price and they put controls on them. Right. So the, the issue there is companies would figure out ways to get around it. And one of the ways they would get around it would be, they would uh, max out, you know, the the wage the wage uh the wage limit the wage right, cap. Right. And then they would offer benefits to yep. get around it.
3: Yep.
1: So you would get, you know, oh well we can only pay you ten dollars an hour, but we'll give you these neat benefits over right, here.
3: Right, 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 right. One
1: of the benefits was health insurance. So that's how it got tied. So it was because of back to Von Mises, government action created this other problem that now is people have now has people demanding further government action to fix it.
3: Right. So, and that created the pension uh, mess too, because up until then, the way that people saved was they got all their money for what they did for work. And then they would invest in their home or they'd put it into other investments or however they'd invest it. Uh, a lot of times they would just hold on to physical like gold and things like that, because that's actual money that retains it's store of value. Um, but they would invest however they chose to like you said, the whole, you know, with the whole benefits thing, it's like, okay, well, we can only pay you this much, but here are all the benefits. One of those benefits was, you know, we're going to put your money in a, in a pension. Now pensions still outperform social security, but it is still someone else taking your money and giving it to someone else for something else. And so it's, it usually does not have the same level of, of, um, uh, the same level of return as someone who is in their own self-interest making their own retirement choices and yet you, you know, it's hard to find a good paying job that doesn't offer benefits now because that's become the way that it's done because of that intervention from government in the market.
1: I also find it interesting and this just kind of popped into my head. Uh, a lot of people that will may describe themselves as Marxists will, will say, uh, part of Marxist theory is that, um, capitalists will only pay workers like the bare minimum to right. to survive. Right. But here we have an example where the government is literally, li- literally Spike Cohen. Literally
3: literally. 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 It is the current the year and the government is literally.
1: Literally. Uh, the government is not literally Spike Cohen,
3: but the government was literally
1: putting a cap on how much these greedy capitalist businesses could pay their employees. And they were, Literally going way out of their way to subvert it to get around. Because the market demanded that these employees were worth more than whatever that wage was and getting around it to pay them more. Literally. So literally, literally, not literally Spike Cohen, but literally uh, subverting the, um, the price cap, the, uh, the, wage, the wage limits.
3: Completely disproving the idea that they're, you know, see, because if, if if the government stepped in and said, you can only pay them this much, and they truly just wanted to pay the absolute minimum that they could to, you know, for them to survive and be, you know, wage to be, you know, labor slaves or whatever, whatever they say. Wage slaves. Yeah, the- wage, wage slaves. Then they would go, oh, well, you know, our hands are tied, guys. We can't pay any bit, any more than this, so you're going to have to make it work. The fact that, and again, it wasn't because they loved their workers so much. It's because they wanted to get the best labor that they could. And so to compete with other laborers because they weren't in a monopoly, they had to compete with others. They provided as much as they could, even having, like you said, to go around government, uh, uh, intrusion on their ability to, to come up with compensation packages for their, for their, for their labor. Um, so yeah, that, that whole thing is ridiculous. So I, so that this show doesn't end up just becoming the, uh, Spike and Jason agree on everything hour, um, (laughs) which it may still, it may still, it may still, it may still, I, I'm actually. There are some things I'm. I've been trying to flesh through. So this is going to be more of us f- fleshing things out. Probably we're probably just going to end up yeah. agreeing. But um, uh, stuff <laughs> that I've been. We're not fun, anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. This is going to just be us. This is agreeing with extra steps. Um, so some. Uh, there are a few things I'm trying to work through that I'm not 100 percent on. One we had taught. We had started talking about right before this show started, and that's uh, w- one of our favorite subjects: the Libertarian Party. Oh wow! And. Uh, <laughs>
1: okay. Well, I don't hate the Libertarian Party. I, I don't I, I I appreciate what they're trying to do, right. and I I think that it can be useful as like a PR mechanism. Like, I think if they didn't take the election seriously at all and just they just went and like ran for stuff with the with the idea that we're not even going to try to win, we're just right. out evangelizing
3: our. Um, we're, yeah, we're, using, we're leveraging this as an opportunity to, right. to spread the message of, of liberty.
1: Right, because theoretically speaking, uh, a consistent anarcho-capitalist could run for office. You can do this mm-hmm. if you promise not to ever violate anybody's rights. Ever. Ever, which theoretically I could run for president, Spike mm-hmm. Cohen, I could run for president, it would be hysterical watching me run for president because in all the debates, I would just pretty much stand up and say, well, here's how it's going to be. I'm going to veto every tax. I'm going to veto every, I'm going to veto every tax bill. I'm going to veto every spending bill. I'm going to fire everybody. I have the authority to fire. I'm going to pull all of, I am commander in chief. I am pulling all of our troops back into the United States and then I'm firing them. (laughs) And then, uh, let's see, do I have any authority over the Fed? I don't know.
3: FBI, they're
1: gone. They're all fired.
3: Actually, you do have authority because you can, um, I don't know if you can fire them, but you're you're the one who, who appoints a chair and then the Senate confirms or not. So I don't know if you can fire a Fed chair, I but you can certainly it. refuse to replace them.
1: I doubt you can fire them. Yeah, I
3: don't, I don't think you they, can. They
1: get like a 14-year term, and they they have such a long term specifically to supposedly uh, allow the Fed chair to act outside of political influence, which, yeah, yeah like that, that really happens. Because that's the
3: magic number. 14 is when you no longer are 14. subject to what other humans are telling you to do.
1: 13 years, and they would totally fall <laughs> into the federal government. Total
3: chaos 14 years perfect stability
1: 14 or more years uh, 15 years that's just right out you can't do that it's crazy oh that's For-
3: insane that would be anarchy it would be
1: complete anarchy
3: um yeah
1: so yeah 14 years that's that's it right there
3: so yeah so my thing and right. and and what i'm trying to figure out with the libertarian party is i don't think they're doing any harm I'm just curious. I'm just so next week I'm having three people on who are from very different schools of thought on on libertarianism. But what right. they do all share is that they're all uh, libertarian party members. In fact, one of them is actually one of the regional, uh, one of the uh, is the at large representative, and one of them heads up uh, a caucus, um, the socialist caucus for the Libertarian Party, and the the other one is just a, a general activist for libertarianism. And they have very diverging ideas on what to do, but they all agree that you know they need to grow the Libertarian Party, and start winning some darn elections. And there are also Libertarian Party members who you can tell, yeah, if they win an election, that's great, but that's not their primary concern. Their primary concern right. is just getting in front of as many people as possible, even under the auspices of I'm running for office, and and just sharing pure Libertarian thought. Um, you know, I I think if my health was a little better, I'd probably run for, for office. Um <laughs> Just for a, a combination of the kicks, and uh, hopefully it helped the show's ratings. And uh, and I would just vote
1: for you, Spike. And if, if I was not if I was not in your jurisdiction, I would illegally vote. for you you. Would illegally I would, vote? For I would, be an I, illegal I, vote? I would
3: commit voter fraud to come down to. So Rally man why. caught stuffing ballots. <laughs> um, but um, but so I, I you know so I've thought of that, but I think we're on the same. On the same wavelength that uh, uh, that you know they're not harming anyone and, and it can possibly use for good. I guess my question is, how much energy do you think needs to be spent on that compared to possibly other pursuits that might help the 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 cause? And do you think there are other pursuits that can better help push along the idea of, of moving, if not towards a stateless society, at least a a society where the state is much less involved than it is now?
1: Uh, you mean a state that only taxes me? Thirty-seven so, percent. Right.
3: Yes, or whatever it is. Limited government. I don't know. I don't
1: know what the numbers are off the top of my head. I don't. I don't follow it quite that closely. Um, but yeah. So I think that the libertarian. You, you outlined two paths for the libertarian party: the we need to win elections versus we need to use it as a, a propaganda machine. Um, propaganda has such a bad connotation to it. But evangelism. It's
3: all, all pro- part. This show is propaganda. It's all. Uh, show is propaganda. This show is pure propaganda. I can tell you that. One
1: hundred percent propaganda. <laughs> uh, I I would say that it needs to go down the latter path where it's just evangelizing libertarian policies and ideas. Uh, if it goes, if it if you go in with the thought that you need to win elections, uh, you, if you remember. I posted. Uh, I mentioned Harold Hotelling. You remember me mentioning Harold Hotelling
3: on Facebook? Yes. Yeah, I do. I do. Yeah.
1: Okay. So Harold Hotelling was an economist, all right. and um, I, I told you, I told you all this. So I'll just kind of reiterate it here for people listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard about him, and I'm not an expert on him. So if I if I muck up some of his theories, and this actually isn't totally applicable, I'm sorry. I just remember. I was in a graduate class for industrial engineering and the, the professor was talking about logistics networks and um, warehouses and things like that. And he pointed out that um, there's this city, I think in Pennsylvania that it's like out in the middle of nowhere, but there are tons of warehouses there for a bunch of major uh, huge retailers and uh, and. and companies and the reason why is because this particular location optimizes like minimizes the cost to ship to a number of major cities it's like if right. you put it right here if you have like all your stuff here the cost of shipping it to from there to like new york and chicago or boston and philadelphia it minimizes it so all right. these companies just focused in this area and you pointed right. it out this talks about this goes back to like Harold Hotelling, who has his uh, his his theory, where there under certain circumstances, under certain conditions, it companies uh, have an incentive to make their products closer to each other. But this also applies to logistics networks in the sense that it makes sense for them to cluster together as right. warehouses. Right. And the, he brought up a couple of other examples. He said, if you walk on the beach, uh, typically, and these are not perfect things, it's just like a general tendency. Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be outliers. Oh, and, of course, there are always exceptions. to the rule. But yeah, but the point he was making was he said, if you walk on the beach and you just kind of pay attention to where the, the food vendors are, they, they'll tend to cluster together because what they're trying to do is they're trying to maximize the number of customers they get. Right. And, um, there's another thing. There was another one I was going to say, Oh, uh, car dealerships. If you notice as you drive around town, oftentimes you'll come across this area where there's like a whole bunch of car dealerships. Right
3: in that one spot. Yeah. And it's not because of any zoning or anything that requires all car dealerships to be there. It just, they just are.
1: Yeah. They're trying to maximize their customers. And this professor just sort of, and the the amazing thing was he just threw it out. He like literally spent like five to 10 seconds. He just threw it out randomly and said, oh yeah, and this applies to the um, two major political parties. And then he just went on talking about logistics. Just, <laughs> just, just threw it out there. The most he,
3: profound you know. thing he said in the whole thing. just got to...
1: The only thing I remember from that class is <laughs> that 10 second comment related right. Harold Hotelling's theory to political parties, which, when you apply it, what it means is the parties are trying to maximize their votes. And in order to do that, they have to move towards each other. Because if right. you move too far away, you start. Uh, catering to smaller and smaller portions of the population.
3: And you're but not what, maximizing your resources, yeah. You're not
1: maximizing it. So what happens is the Democrats and Republicans move towards each other such that they're virtually identical. And what they're arguing over is they're not arguing over anything profound, like from uh, even like a far right-wing uh, perspective, a far left wing perspective, or, or a far libertarian perspective. They're not talking about like Bernie Sanders, well, let's let's um, nationalize everything. Well, I don't know if right. he wants to nationalize everything. But, you know, like an extreme socialist might want to nationalize a whole bunch of stuff. A conservative may want to, well, we're going to force prayer into all the schools everywhere. And right. it's only going to be Christian prayer and so on and, so, and stuff like that. Or like an extreme libertarian would say, hey, let's end the Federal Reserve. Right. Nobody can make those arguments and gain votes. So the two major parties move towards this sort of, I don't, I, I'm going to say center, even though it may not necessarily be the political center, but they're going to move towards each other and they're going to differ in very tiny degrees. It's like the Republicans, well, we want to have a top tax rate of 39%. No, right. you can't do that. Sorry, Republicans would want 36%, the Democrats right. 39 percent 39 percent or yeah it's a, a, at best a marginal difference so where i'm going with this is because of this if the libertarian party wants to maximize their votes and win, if they want to win elections they have to maximize their votes if they want to maximize their votes they have to move towards the major parties that's the way they have to do it uh the only way they could move the only way they could win elections without moving towards the major parties is if they could convince people of libertarian principles, which means they would already have done the evangelism. Right. Which is why that's the most important
3: part of it. Yeah.
1: Which is right. Exactly. You have to change people's minds in order to win the elections by running on libertarian principles. So you can't put the cart before the horse. You have to do the hard work of, you know, getting the message out there and talking to people, and you know, convincing people. And you have to con. And I don't want to say convincing people because you can't convince anyone. And I've learned this: you can't convince anyone of anything. It'll never happen. Right. They have to convince themselves. Right. All you can do is present the idea. Yep. And that's why I almost never argue like out on social media anymore. In fact, I will to my ego's screaming agony <laughs> back out of things that he, the, my ego is like yelling at me. Oh my God, Jason, you could crush this, this person. This person is wrong. They're so
3: wrong and they're so they stupid so with their wrongness.
1: Yeah. I, could, I could crush them in such a manner that they would feel like an absolute moron by the time I am through with them. Ten different ways they don't even see coming. Except Sorry. they don't.
3: And that's the problem is they, is they would the, never see it coming. Almost never. Do you see someone go, Hey, that's a good point, man. I think I was no, wrong about right. all of this. Right. And like, it would it takes a, it takes a really hardcore stoic to be able to have someone passionately present a countering argument and go, yeah, you know what? I think I agree with that. Right. And, yeah. and, and from the, this subset of people, you're definitely not going to get that. They're going to, you have just doubled down on why they, and I say, this is someone who argued probably seven times today um, that uh, you, they're just going to double down on this person hates America. This person hates the poor. This person doesn't care about the things I think are important. Um, so um, so th- this goes, so talking about this with, with the libertarian party kind of, kind of goes back to, I guess more of an overarching question. Cause I've had a lot of people that, you know, once they really, when I'm having a real discussion, not just an argument, but an actual discussion, and they'll cede all or most of the points that I'm making, and they'll say, "But you know, when has this ever happened? Or you know, is it possible? You know, how how, how what's your plan to make this happen?" To which I say, "That's not you know, I I, I don't I don't have to tell you how all of society is going to run in order to say that this would be a better way for it to happen. You know, it, it's on them to 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 do it. But to that that end, do you think? I guess it's a multi-part question, but do you think, A, that... (laughs) A, B, C, D. Do you think, and then 2C, no, do you think, A, uh, that people, even after being convinced that most people even truly want to be free, as what free actually means, not I'm a free American, but like actually free, B, do you think that there's really an effective way to get to anywhere even near that, what we would want as an idea, as an ideal on a, on a, you know, societal level. And, um, I, I don't know if I had a C, but I just felt like, you know, it's always the rule of threes. So C that, that, well, I guess C would be that even if you could achieve that, that it would be possible to to maintain that, you know, do you think any of this is even attainable? Cause I, I'm not sure of that anymore.
1: Okay. Um, okay. I will take those questions in turn. You're going to have to remember them because in the process of answering A, I will probably forget B and C. That's fine. I remember B and C. I I think I've forgotten what A was already.
3: Okay. (laughs) A was, do you think, think, I I threw a lot at you and I apologize for that. tell, Tell me every one of these things right now. No, um, uh, no, so A was, do you think people even truly will want to oh, be free? Okay. Like, uh, Okay, I have an answer to that. Okay. Here, here's
1: the problem. Uh, the problem is not that people don't want to be free. The
3: problem is they don't want their neighbor to be free. And, and, so- and you're correct. And, that, and that's what I meant. Do they want everyone to be free? Yes, they want to be left alone. But do you think most people want actual freedom where everyone is free to do what they want, harming no one else?
1: I think that's the challenge before us is to make that case. I don't, and the thing is, I don't. I, I described it in those terms that they want to be free, but they don't want their neighbor to be free. I don't think anybody consciously thinks that. I think that that is just no. There, it's just the consequence of what they, what they're afraid of. Uh, it's like, well, I know that I'm a good person. I think. I should be able to buy any firearm I like. Right. But Bob over there, I don't know about him. He might use it to kill people. They're right. not consciously, it's not like they're thinking, well, I want to be free, but I want to push tyranny on other people. That's, right. Of course. Of course. That's just, the, that's just the outcome of their thinking. Their fear. Uh, right. So we need to, what we need to do is just make the case that freedom for everybody is better. It's a difficult case to make. And well, you know it's just pretty much don't hurt people and take their stuff, but applying it to everything can get messy right so the, that that's that's my answer to a the I think that deep down they do it's just a natural fear of letting un- go of fear right right when you, if you think about it and know now I'm these are thoughts I have not uh thought through completely. I'm now pretty much completely riffing. Um, people, evolutionarily speaking, have a natural apprehension to be around strangers, because if you think about it, um, outside, if you saw a random person outside of your tribe in prehistoric times, you don't know whether that person's there to kill you or be nice to you.
3: They were more than likely at least somewhat like of a threat than, to you. Yeah. yeah,
1: They were probably a threat to you. So, right. evolutionarily speaking, it made sense for people to develop an instinct where if they see someone, they don't know to not to like be wary of that person, if not show outright hostility towards them.
3: At the very least, you were going to be competing with them for extremely scarce resources. So even yes. if they didn't mean you harm, you now got to share the creek with him and, and you know, your hunting grounds and whatever. So, yeah, it's, it, they're a threat. Even if they don't mean to be a threat, their existence near you is potentially a threat. So
1: Correct. So I think that that probably has something to do with why just people have this natural instinct where they're okay for themselves, but they're sort of apprehensive about other people having freedom. Right. I think that may be, I think, I think, and like I said, I'm just spitballing and riffing. Yeah. I haven't thought this through completely. I think there's probably a connection there between those two.
3: Especially um, the, the less connection they feel with that person in the abstract. So they're okay with my fellow Americans doing this thing, but not those foreigners. So they're okay with my race doing this thing, but not that race or my religion, but not that religion or my community, my, you know, like you see a lot of people that are like, well, I I trust Republicans. I don't trust these Democrats though. And I'm like, how many Democrats are in your family? Like, you know, you know, give me a break. You don't trust them. But that, that sort of like, there are others and I don't trust them. So I I, I tend to think you're, you're, you're surprised, surprised. I tend to agree with you on that. Okay, see, we knew this was going to be the... uh, This is what the entire... This is the Spike agrees with Jason show. Um, So then then B is, do you... um, Because I almost forgot B. um, B is, do you think that there's an actual viable path to... And I don't know that there is. Is there a viable path to get from today to something resembling a stateless or even vastly reduced state society where it's, the state is not as heavily enmeshed into our daily lives as it currently is do you think that's even possible
1: i do believe it's possible okay. uh, i don't know whether it's possible in either of our lifetime uh, i do believe that it is possible and it starts with uh two two things one evangelism where we are convincing people and well in. I don't like that, but where we are getting—we are presenting the ideas. To people, people. We're presenting the ideas to people for them to consider and hope they convince themselves. That's really all you can do. Um, and on the other hand, I think that the best way to get from point A to point B, where point A is where we are now and point B is a stateless society, is to engage in agorism. And build build economic market networks that exist outside of government. I think that's the only way to do that yeah. uh, to move towards that. Because it's one thing to say, uh, "Well, you know, we want to get to this society," and people naturally want to know, "Well, how would you do A, B, C, D, and E?" Right. You can start building some sort of market, uh, where people are actually starting to do these things, um, outside of government influence. And it's not going to be perfect because you can't totally divorce yourself from it. I don't think, um, but if you could get just like 95% of the way there where people are exchanging things and doing things and building things that you can point to that and say, yeah, this can work because look what they're doing. Look at this right here. And towards that end, I think that a couple of things I'm excited about are cryptocurrencies like yeah. Bitcoin
2: yeah. and
1: the 3D printing. Uh, those two things uh, are real could really drive home the whole, yeah, this can be done. Uh, because if people are buying and selling stuff that they built on their 3D printer.
3: Um, using cryptocurrency but, as a medium for exchange. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah, sorry, I meant to I meant to specify. Yeah, yep. using Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and Ripple, and you know all that all that good stuff, right? Uh, to buy and sell stuff that they're building in their homes with three D printers outside of the uh, you know doing it all anonymously, and you know, crypt, there are cryptocurrencies out there specifically for that sort of thing. That's right. The, right. Um, if people start actually doing that, and I think. It may be that technology needed to progress to a point where these solutions could present themselves before, like, you could build towards a critical mass of convincing people of this, of the, the idea of a stateless society being viable.
3: Right. It was always the, the case that a, a truly market economy and society is going to be better than a command one, but technology makes it so much easier to show it to someone that look, look how much easier this works. The internet I think has done a a tremendous job in making people realize just how unnecessary the monopolization of, of information and the ability to to project force is you you don't need that. The ability now to communicate the way I'm communicating with you, I could just as easily be communicating with someone in, you know, Thailand or, or, you know, California. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, on my, on my, my next episode, everyone's going to be in, I believe in California Um, you know, someone anywhere Um, it really breaks down the whole concept, first of all, of you and us and, you know, us versus them. And it also just shows how unnecessary these, these, you know, these monopolies of of violence are for us to be able to communicate and, and and cooperate and, and associate with each other on a daily basis.
1: Uh, yeah. And just the whole dissemination of information through the internet allows us to reach a much greater audience. Like you said, you can reach people all over the world. It's not like, you know, 30 years ago, where you could go decade, you could live decades and not even hear the words anarcho-capitalism. And even if you heard it, how do you research, how do you find right. out? How do you how even do know, you know, know what it is exactly? Yeah. Find more. There's there is no anarcho-capitalist section in the library. That would be pretty much oh, okay. Well, I need to go to the library and find out about this stuff. Right. Nowadays, you know, if you want to find out about it, like if I had if I had this if I was uh, a teenager now, and I read that article in National Review oh so many years ago, I could literally. Literally, Spike Cohen. Literally, Liter- literally, uh, Google Ludwig yep. von Mises. What would the first thing to pop up would be the Ludwig von Mises Institute yep. on the internet? I would yep. click there. I would, you know, root around there, and then I would realize all these books that I I heard about, they're there for free that I could read online if I didn't want to, if I didn't even want to spend the money. I could just sit at my computer and just read Human Action from. From Beginning to end, read uh, man, economy, and state, and power and market. Yep, and all this stuff. I wouldn't have to spend a dime, yep.
3: because
1: all this stuff is just there at my fingertips.
3: Yeah, exactly. The exactly.
1: Internet has just been a boon. Um, that, that's a wonderful thing, which is you know fed into cryptocurrencies and uh, you know, 3D printing. Like I said, that's uh, that's another big one that I'm very hopeful about. Yeah, I, I hope. We'll see. So yeah, yeah I, uh, B. I do. I I'm not. I'm not confident on the time frame uh, as far as when we could get there. But I do have hope that uh, we we can get there. I, I do believe that we can reach a stateless society.
3: Well, good. Yeah, I I, I hope so. I, I my whole thing is this because I'm I'm a believer as well, and and so I say to people, look, I don't think sin's ever going to end either. Um, but I, I'm not going to stop saying that sin's bad or that, you know, or that right. this is the right way. So, you know, are we ever going to achieve stateless statelessness? We are at least as likely to achieve statelessness as we are to achieve a government that limits itself because a piece of paper tells it to. So oh, I like our chances. And so if you continue calling for the government to do something it's never done before, and I'll continue saying that we don't need any of this and that there is a better way and that we can we can go towards that. This kind of feeds into C. Uh, there was a C, and I did remember it. I think I'm very proud of myself that I remembered my A, B, and C on this. Um, which is that in a, let's say we achieve this, and we are in a stateless society. Not necessarily there are no other governments on on Earth, but that at least where we are, there isn't. You know, the question is, you know, what's going to keep what's going to keep, uh, you know, China from invading us and forcing us to be Chinese
1: well why would they want us to be chinese
3: are they going to engage in genetic uh, or you know uh, what i mean to be uh, chi- yeah no, no to be to be chi- to speak if it wasn't for government you'd be speaking chinese and be forced to pay chinese taxes
1: uh well here's the thing um if we have a stateless society and i don't know how big you're talking like if it was just a city like a city if we were able to get like something the size of a city right. that was stateless and, say, China decided to conquer that city, uh, we're pretty much screwed. There's no way to repel that magnitude. That, that big it. of a thing, right. Unless we have nukes. Then then it becomes a whole different ballgame. Right. So what, what you would need in order to prevent, to guarantee that you couldn't be conquered is to have nukes, which coincidentally is why so many countries in the Middle
3: East want nukes to stop from being bombed Uh, by major powers. Yeah.
1: Did I just like way diverge? No, no, but it's
3: true. I tell people, I say, Hey, look, take your anti gun control argument and apply it to the world stage. They want this to prevent, you know, right now they are no bombing zone. They have up no bombing zone signs that nuke says, Hey, you're not bomb us. If you want, you're going to wish you hadn't. And, and countries that have nukes don't get bombed by other countries. So yeah, it is what it is, but yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Sorry. I got a little sidetracked there. No,
3: no, that's fine. Uh, that's fine.
1: So yeah, uh, a lot of it would depend on the scale. Uh, there's also, and I, have pondered, this is another thing I've pondered, um, over time, the whole idea of why, why do you, why do countries invade, uh, other countries? Cause they want the, they want resources. They want something. They want right. the wealth. Right. Um, but and when you look in the past, you could do that if the so if the capital base had not built up very much, like if you look hundreds of years ago, there really wasn't that much capital, capital being defined as goods which are used to produce other goods. Right. right. So say the Vikings could pretty much loot every year, and it doesn't matter if they just loot and pillage every year because there is no long term capital in place they're not destroying long term capital
3: right right
1: so if you have a stateless society of sufficient magnitude that it has uh, and it given that it would have you know complete freedom the economic development would be much faster there so even if you wanted to if a if a if an outside state wanted to conquer that area how would they do it? You know, if they did it by force of arms, you would destroy most of the capital in place, which kind right. of defeats the purpose because you want to have it because you want to benefit from it. But in order to get it, you have to destroy it. And the other thing is in a, as opposed to like a state where there is a hierarchical top, a top down hierarchy of power where, you know, there's a military that's centrally controlled. Right. All you have to do is convince that central power to surrender.
3: And it's over, you win. Yeah, exactly.
1: That's like 90% of the fight right there. I mean, there's going to be pockets of people that um, hold out, but that central authority has built up, you know, uh, obedience to it. So most of the people are just going to fall in line to whatever that, that central authority says that doesn't exist in a stateless society. You're not going to – there's no central authority that can step in and, uh, you know, that that an outside invader could just step in and conquer. Right. In other way – or in some other way convinced to surrender, uh, you pretty much have to take it tooth and nail, you know, foot by foot. You have to conquer uh, the, the entire area. So there's a whole different uh, problem in place there. Um, so, yeah, those, those are a couple – different ways that it, it really wouldn't be worth it that much that, yeah, then, yeah, that's, go, go, go ahead yeah, sorry just one other thing yeah. in my head and I, I forget things a lot Spike uh, you, the thing is you don't have to repel directly a foreign invader you just have to make occupying your territory not worth the cost right right That's all you have to do. And you don't need much to do it. You can do it just with like arms. You can hold on your body. I mean, you can stick anti-aircraft, uh, devices. You can like carry those around pretty much. Right. You know, I had, I I used to work with a guy who was in, in the the army for 20 years. And he pretty much told me, he said, Jason, I'm going to be honest. Um, you can equip a person just with stuff that they can carry that can ruin like a whole platoon's day. I mean, just that
3: one person. Yeah. Right. And because
1: there would would be no laws outlawing private ownership
3: of Of these things. Everyone could potentially be an anti-aircraft gunner. Right.
1: Right. Everybody could potentially have this. I mean, just things like all you need is if you have a rifle that has uh, a rocket, uh, not an RPG, but just a grenade launcher on it. Right you can ruin so much stuff. You can just like ruin their day completely. Right. Uh, Unless they like bring in the tanks. Yeah. Um, And if they bring in the tanks, they're probably going to wreck everything anyway. And then what,
3: you know, what have they done? Exactly. They've just destroyed for no reason.
1: Yeah. It just comes down to just, you can just make it more costly to occupy um, the territory than it is than. The benefit that, that they would get from it because they would have to wreck most of what they would want to keep anyway. You've got people that aren't going to just fall in line. You've got unlimited private ownership of firearms and right. any weaponry. I don't even want to say firearms, just any weaponry. Any weaponry, yeah. Anything up to possibly private ownership of nukes. And if that if there, if nukes are in play, then just forget. This and should...
3: private ownership of you know, this is increasingly an electronic warscape that you see on the world stage. You're going to have people that can just hack your your military before they even try to get there. So, I mean, okay. it, my my answer in a more in a more sweeping way to this has always been: there's three things. One, why would they even want to? Because this is going to be a very prosperous society that they can trade with beneficially and make a tremendous amount of money for them and, and, and for the, the, the people they're trading with, why would they want to upset that? To, to develop their tax farm. Yeah, well, I- exactly. Well, and, and, but trading with our free society right. also develops their tax farm too. So right. why would they even want that? Yeah. That's so compared I mean. to, yeah. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. On their end 2 We're a society that just demonstrated that we aren't even going to tolerate domestic governance, what on earth makes them think that that society is going to be okay? Yes, could they initially invade and overpower? Yeah, but you're dealing with a people that have already demonstrated that they don't tolerate even the city hall telling them what to do. Much, right. you know, so now you're a foreign invader that's, you know, coming in to to do harm. That's not going to be tolerated. And and the, the biggest thing to me, this was actually a big change to me because I was always on the defense with this question. I asked someone this, another anarchist, and he said to me, "Why do we never talk about how uh amazon is going to survive the counterattack from macy's or or kmart you know why why don't we ever say Perfect. oh man what's what what's uber going to do when when the when the the taxis come for them um they're so much better and more dynamic that it's actually those things that they're replacing that are on the on the defensive and and something i thought is the real question in in my mind is going to be if if What was formerly the largest government on earth, so let's say the United States, is, even if it's in pockets, is demonstrating that having zero government at all is beneficial to everyone and and that government is unnecessary. It's going to be the governments of the world that are on defensive from their own people who are saying, yeah, we want that too. So I think you're going to see a lot more much more likely than China trying to invade America or what used to be the U.S. you know federal territory or whatever, I think you're going to be much li- more likely hearing about Chinese people hiring American-based firms to help them remove their government. I, I think you're going to see a lot right. more removal services than that. And th- that was really what opened my eyes to if we truly are a more dynamic society, we're more dynamic in every way. We're richer, we're more prosperous, we're more able to adjust to you know, uh, things like, you know, disasters and everything else, or, or crises that are, you know, external things that we can't control. We're going to be more, we're going to be better equipped to deal with that stuff. And we're going to be completely decentralized, like you said, heavily harmed. So why would anyone, a, why would they even want to upset that? And B, they're going to be too busy resisting their own citizens saying, yeah, we want that too, in my mind anyway.
1: No, that, that makes perfect sense. And the other thing is, um, there would be no immigration laws in Ancapistan. So right. once it was up and running, you know, within like a, it wouldn't even take a year. It would be like a day. People would just start moving here. So <laughs> all these, all these people would just start moving here from all over. Right. So if the Chinese government is like, yeah, we're going to take up, where, where'd where everybody go? Right, <laughs> right,
3: right. We're going right, to co- right. conquer those people. To arms. Wait, where is everyone? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh,
1: you guys are over. You're over there now. How yeah, did you get over there. Oh crap! So, yeah, you would have a uh, the the population, and I'm sure there are some people that are not happy about that, hearing that. But it's it's true. That's that a whole that's oh, yeah. a whole different thing. I made eight, eight videos on it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, you would have people from all over just immediately moving here, and it would just be extremely prosperous, and um. So if people if a if a another state wanted to declare war on this area, I don't know whether they would even have the manpower to do it because people would just would just defect here.
3: Right. That's and yeah. that's what I think. And I think also simultaneously you got people moving into the the free territories and I think that the free territories expand too. I think you're going to see governments who are saying, um, okay, we're going to lose all this anyway. Hey, this group, would you like to buy this territory from us and we won't, we'll cede control to you. And then, yeah, sure. And then, you know, I, I think, and, and then you also have people that'll just violently like resist and say, you know, we, we rejected the government. We want to live like they do. So I think you'd see people moving into it and you'd see it expanding as well. Once it could effectively be demonstrated to work in one area, that entire argument of, well, we need government because it's never worked without government is gone and so I, I think that that's I think that that's what would happen. As you would see, I think it would be a domino effect that would happen pretty within a generation. You would see an almost stateless world, just because it would have been so easily demonstrated. And the few states that would be left would have to be such oppressive, um, um, uh, you know, airtight fortress states like almost like north koreas just to try to maintain their power and they would eventually crumble once either that oligarch died or someone assassinated them or they just couldn't resist their their citizens any longer i i I don't see i think the greater question is if we had if if the u.s government went away and we had an anarchist society how are those other governments going to survive
1: uh yeah and we wouldn't even i don't even think it would take um uh, an area the size of the United States government, if we could just get something like the size of, uh, South Carolina or North right. Carolina, yep. um, just, I don't, I don't know. Well, Rhode Island might be too small, but just, <laughs> just a state of sufficient size, right? Uh, just an area of sufficient size that it's not like, Oh, well that's just those crazies in that town that, that could right, go for right. a, a wide area. Yep. Um, yeah, and what once it became obvious that this is the way that this can work and it's the best way, um, yeah, a couple things would happen. People would immediately start moving here. Uh, the The problem might be that initially, while it's still pretty small, the invasions could happen. Right. But once it's demonstrated, and once that well, it's never it's never happened. It can't work. Is that once that genie is out of the bottle? Even I think even if it was that area was conquered, that seed would have been planted all over the world. Right. You now, that yep. would uh, pretty much take care of it. And then, um, yeah, I, I agree. The domino effect I think would probably happen. Yep. So I'm hopeful that that domino effect will happen. I don't think, like I said, I honestly don't think it'll happen in my lifetime. Um, Man, I would love if it did, but I don't. I don't think so.
3: Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I tend to. I think if it if it is happen, if it does happen, it's going to be a generational people over time. Although this, you know, when three D printing and and crypto really take off, it it could really it could really change the paradigm in a way that we're not we're not considering. So I appreciate you coming on, Jason. Before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to talk about uh, liberate Raleigh. Um, so that's something you started. I think um, around
1: 2012, 2013. Now, the the name Liberate Raleigh is sort of – it's sort of like a sister to Liberate RVA. Okay. In R- Richmond, Virginia. And okay. that was uh, started by uh, Cal Moline. Um You can find him on Facebook, Cal, K-A-L-M-O-L-I-N-E-T. And he started that Liberate group. And what they, they tried to do is they tried to build like an anar- a community of anarchists in Richmond, Virginia – to sort of kind of get the the ball rolling, you know, okay. as far as you want to have an area that um, is stateless. Well, one of the ways that you can plant those seeds is like getting people together and in the same area. Um, so I, I discovered that group in 2012 and I, I liked, I liked the long-term strategy. So I, took the name liberate raleigh because i'm in raleigh and the name liberate rva is rva means richmond virginia richmond virginia right right so um my liberate raleigh youtube channel is kind of based on uh the name is based on liberate rva so it's just kind of where i if i feel like if there's something i think that needs to be said or that i think i need to say um i'll make a video and put it up on liberate raleigh and I don't remember offhand how many videos I have up there. Um, I have uh, a video on why I don't vote. I have a series of videos on, uh, it's in a playlist called Foundations of Anarchism, which is just basic definitions of things like rights, justice, um, property, uh, exchange, monopoly in the state. And it just kind of takes you step-by-step building on the definitions of what thing, like what the definition of these words are, and how one leads to the next, and how you go from the basic definitions and become, you end up uh, rejecting the state. And those videos aren't very long. They're all, most of them are pretty much like two minutes long, because all I'm doing is I'm stating the definitions, because I think that's important to be upfront and say when I use this word, this is what I. This mean. is
3: what we mean. yeah, so we're all on the this same page.
1: Yeah. This is these words mean these things. And because of these meanings, I, they lead to this consequence and I reject the state because of this.
3: Right. Right.
1: I have other stuff. Obviously I mentioned like eight video immigration thing. Um, that's kind of, I I consider it sort of a brain bug in the libertarian community being anti open borders.
3: You can't have a libertarian society with all these foreigners coming in.
1: Yeah. Well, (laughs) We can we can open that
3: can of worms in the future yeah that no that's that's I only that, touched on it briefly because it's it is one that takes a long time to flesh it out.
1: takes it takes about three hours and 50 minutes <laughs> which is which is the total runtime of the eight videos I did uh, on it um, so yeah that's a whole different can of worms but I, okay. I have other stuff um, uh, I did one on there was Jeff Deist – did a a speech that got a lot of controversy. I don't know if you remember the the
3: blood and soil. Yeah. Yeah. I I did a
1: video on that um, because I actually did. I didn't really care much about him saying the words blood and soil.
0: Right. There
1: was a whole lot of other stuff in it. I I didn't like and I made a a video on it. And uh, one series of videos I've done one and I need to get back to it. I (laughs) set the book aside because I thought I might mention it um, at some point. It's this book here. This is called the Voluntary City. It's a, it's an anthology, and I started reading it like a year ago, and I've only read the first chapter. But what this book does is it's called Choice Community and Civil Society, and um, it's a it's a really interesting book. What they do is each chapter sort of takes let's say it, it looks at if there was a city that was completely stateless. How would it provide all of the services? Hmm. But the interesting thing about this book is it's not theoretical. Uh, What it does is it talks about historical examples of people privately providing all these things. So it goes through pretty much everything except for national defense is covered. I have another book that goes into national defense. I may do a series of videos on that, but, um, I did one video on this like almost a year ago, just kind of introducing this book. And then I just dropped it. And I started reading this book again recently. So I'm going to start making videos on this. And it talks about stuff like urban planning, um, mutual aid societies, uh, courts, courts of law and uh, police services, just pretty much everything that you would need in a city for a city to be viable. Yeah, yeah. The infrastructure involved, and um, I'm gonna I'm gonna make videos, uh, a series of videos, going over. I, I don't want to get too in depth because then I'll ma- I'll end up making like 20 videos, and I don't want to do
3: that. I just make my... Watch this 17 hour mini series about. What, yeah.
1: what... Don't don't I don't want to do that. Plus, I want people to read the book. I, I can't cover all the detail that's in the book. I just want to a high level overview of how solutions have been provided. You know, not theoretical, like how were the roads provided privately in the past? Because right. they
3: Because they have been. Right.
1: Mutual, mutual aid societies did provide the function, the services that, like, say, insurance companies do now. They were done, they did it outside of, you know, government interference. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of like my latest thing. Uh, and then, then I might go and deal with a little bit of Hans Hermann Hoppe on immigration again um, just because I don't know I may I may have to do it but anyway um, that's where I am on Liberate Raleigh so I just kind of run my mouth talk about things I okay. don't, I don't argue I just make a video an hour-long video put it on Liberate Raleigh and,
3: people, and, and people can respond however they wish so yeah. um, and I will put I'll get the address for your your channel and we'll put that in the show notes okay. So I that's appreciate cool. Jason I appreciate you coming on again any final thoughts anything you feel like you would like to share before we, we sign off. Uh, I just
1: want people to be happy and I think that they should all dance more. I think they should do uh, salsa dancing and Zouk dancing.
3: Brazilian yeah we'll stuff. have to we're gonna put uh, <laughs> uh, links to your to dance stuff in your area too in the show notes because yeah. we didn't even get into that, but we're actually both into into the right. more so, with my health stuff I haven't been as involved as I used to be, but we're both involved in in the Latin dance world. Um, and you're also in, like, Zouk and Kizamba and stuff so, like that.
1: Brazilian Zouk. Uh, I'm an organizer for Triangle Zouk, which handles the the Brazilian Zouk events in this area, the Raleigh-Durham Chapel Hill area, which is um, casually referred to as the Triangle. The,
3: tr- the Triangle, right. Or the Research Park Triangle. triangle. Cool. So
1: I'm on that organizing committee, so I'm I'm big into that. I actually thought we were going to spend like an hour talking about dancing because in your previous like last week's thing with Paul Gordon, when you introduced me at the end of it, you said, "And yeah, we're going to talk about dancing."
3: So I kind of I thought we were going to talk about dancing. I honestly, my show notes were very rough for this, and I have dancing here. And then I look down, and I'm like, "Yeah, we're about an hour and forty in. We're, we're not going to get into into dancing." So I'll it. have <laughs> I'll have to bring you back on. We'll have a dance tacular episode um, to talk about that, or. You can tune in. Uh, well, this is showing Wednesday, so it'll actually be yesterday. Uh, but uh, mm-hmm. you existing in the same time in reality as I am right now, you can tune in tomorrow and we can talk about dance because we're going to be there for several hours dealing with election stuff. So.
1: uh probably won't <laughs> because, as I think you know, tomorrow slash yesterday is my birthday.
3: Oh, that's right. Happy birthday.
1: Thank you. So I'm going to be out dancing and doing a salsa birthday dance tomorrow so I don't know what
3: that's much better than yeah
1: yeah I don't know whether you guys will still be going when I get home Uh, if you are I hope to God we will
3: not I hope to God no
1: yeah so uh, I will almost certainly listen to it at work the next day
3: good Um, good that sounds good so well you'll know the results by then so it'll just be watching us lose our minds so um,
1: then as soon as I'll be paying attention to it
3: (laughs) (laughs) so Jason thank you again for joining us we will definitely have you back on soon Thank you. I
1: appreciate it. I'm glad to be here.
3: Guys, thank you again for joining us at My Fellow Americans. Uh, tune in. I see I keep doing this because it, I'm recording this on Monday. Um, so you will have already seen our election spectacular. How, what an amazing election result that was, huh? I'll tell you what. Um, so tune in tomorrow, which is Thursday. Tomorrow is Thursday when you're watching this. Tune in tomorrow uh, for an episode of The Writer's Block. I have no idea who Matt is interviewing, but he will be on there and he will be, I think, interviewing someone. So that'll be nice. Uh, Thursday, the writer's block. Uh, And then tune in in the following Tuesday for uh, uh, The Moneyed Waters of Freedom with me and Matt. And then next Wednesday, I'm having the debate-tacular extravaganza. I'm still working on the name, but it's going to be between uh, Joshua Smith, Mike Shipley, and uh, and Sam Coppinger, Coppinger um joshua smith is an anarcho-capitalist who is an at-large representative for the libertarian party mike shipley is i believe the head of the libertarian socialist caucus um and sam coppinger is a uh, libertarian activist and bill weld delegate bill weld so we're going to be talking about that next wednesday um so thank you again for tuning in and god bless you